Uh, what we're doing on Wednesday nights for a while, we're just taking what I talk about on Sunday mornings and just, uh, you know, people bring questions in. So if you have any questions, Susan, you're going to be the mic runner tonight. It's right beside you. Oh, oh, it's Manny. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, that would be cool. Susan could really run. used to see her. Anyway. Um, <clears throat> so anyway, if you have questions about anything, if I have time left, uh, be prepared to ask any question. We'll get through it. I've got seven right here that have come in. And, uh, you know, Sundays, I'm just trying to emphasize, most people think that, that God just does everything he wants to all the time. And it's simply, just simply not true. He wants to. Yes, he has authority, but, but he's given the authority to us. And, and we do have some responsibility. But to listen to most people, we have no responsibility. Has, God has all the responsibility. So truth is the mean, the middle between two extremes, right? As even the philosopher said that. So you know, we're trying to, to make some clear points there. And uh, so we have some things to share about that. So from Sunday, I mentioned Satan and how he fell from heaven. So this first question that I have here is, uh, and here it is, it's kind of long. So listen, God's most beautiful angel, they make some statements. So God's most beautiful angel wanted to become greater than God. That was Lucifer, Satan. Uh, he schemed and talked with other angels and 30% of the other angels wanted to follow him. And uh, that 30%, I'm assuming, would come from Revelation 12, um, that a third of the angels fell when Satan fell. They were cast down out of heaven. How do we know this will not? Watch, here's the question. How do we know this will not happen again once Jesus returns and the new heavens and the new earth are created? Also, how do we, how do we know that this has not happened before? I have a couple of people ask me, this person says, um, that, and I've asked that myself. All I can say is I have faith in God's word and believes what he says. Uh, the Bible lays out everything, and it does not mention it happening before. Also, God is perfect and does not need a do-over. So uh, let me see. Let me get back to this. How do we know this will not happen again once Jesus returns and the new heavens and new earth is created? So I mean, so how do you know that that you know somebody's not going to mess things up again? Well, um, you know, now this is true in your personal life, and and, and it has to be true of God when you give. When you give a personality a free will, there's always risk. Yes or no? Okay, so, so okay, you can open up a can right here because the truth is some people have a closed personality and they're afraid to risk loving someone because they've been hurt before. Yes or no? And there's a lot of people like that. <laughs> You messed me up one time, ain't gonna mess me up again. Ain't nobody gonna mess with me again. Now, God could have said that, but he didn't because he loves. So, so to love, to receive love and be loved, you've got, it, it always involves risk. Love involves risk. So, so before I answer this question, let me talk about that a minute. You know, you, you answer this question in your own life. Are you willing to accept the risk that somebody can... can uh, can do you wrong just to be loved. I'm going to tell you flat out, the answer for me, unqualified yes. I would rather be loved and love than to, than to live in a hole. How many people today live in a hole, so to speak, live encumbered by themselves, away from everybody, just so nobody can hurt me? What a terrible way to live. I mean, I guess God could have done that, but see, God is love, right? And love, the very nature of love means there is 
risk. Here's another thought. So, so here's a here's an underlying question. I think he has. So, so you know, it's all wrapped up. New heavens and new earth. We're in heaven for a while after the rapture of the church. Jesus passes out. You know, rewards, and we come back in glorified bodies. You got a new heavens and new earth. You know, the, uh, all the uh, contamination elements are removed from the earth. Satan's in the lake of fire. Antichrist, false prophets in the lake of fire. All, all the people that worship the devil and followed him and did their own thing are in the lake of fire. It's all wrapped up. We're in a new place. And, and then the new Jerusalem comes down. And uh, so, so, so can, can some personality mess up again? Wow, what a question, right? Can somebody mess up this perfect thing again? Wow, wow, wow. Now, listen, now I mentioned this. I mentioned this when I taught, uh, actually, uh, on, on, on June the 9th, 2021. I was teaching on the book of Revelation. It was actually part 35, and my notes are online. You can find it in the book of Revelation, part 35, page 5 in my notes. And, and I mentioned this. This shocked me when I studied it out. Did you know in the, in the New Jerusalem, the New Heavens, the New Earth... At times, God will allow the inhabitants of the new Jerusalem and the new earth to look down in hell. Now, that's a shocker, right? Well, I thought the former things are passed. They are passed away. But he didn't want these free personalities to forget what it cost for salvation and then what happens to the incorrigibly wicked. Isaiah 66, for as the new heavens and new earth, which I will make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your descendants and your name remain. Verse 23, Isaiah 66, and it shall come to pass from one new, this is talking about the new heavens and new earth. Everything's already done. We're in there. Uh, come to pass from one new moon to another, from one Sabbath to another, all flesh, flesh shall come to worship before me, says the Lord. And they shall go forth and look upon, look at this, look upon the corpses of men who have transgressed me, for their worm does not die and their fire is not quenched. Now that's what Jesus said about hell, isn't it? The lake of fire, yeah. They shall be in abhorrence to all flesh. One of my study Bibles, Dake's Annotated Reference Bible, of that verse, Isaiah 66, 22 says this, all flesh, natural men on earth will be permitted to look into eternal hell at certain openings and see the punishment of rebels forever. Watch as a perpetual warning against sin and transgression. Don't forget the gates, nothing in the Bible says the gates of heaven are ever shut. You can be in there, but because you have a free will, if you want to leave, you can't. But where are you going to go? I mean, where are you going to go? The devil saw him open. He said, hey, I can do it. And look what it cost him. So, so we're in eternity. We're in our glorified bodies. Could you make a choice to walk away from God? Wow. You know, iniquity was found in Satan. We looked at it Sunday in Ezekiel 28. He actually created sin within himself. Could we, could we walk away from God? We have a free will. So, you know, I've thought about that, and it scared the BGBs out of me. And I've said, God, I don't ever in my heart want to walk away from you. So I practice now not walking away from God. You get it? Why you got all the mess around you, temptations are there, so all this stuff's there. I just practice now. I'm not going to walk away from you, Lord. I'm not going to give in to my flesh now because I don't want there to be any tinge of possibility 
in eternity future that I would ever do something so horrible. Would you? Boy, it, see how quiet it gets? Boy, never thought about that. I know. Isn't that something? So, so again, the, the major point there is to be freely loved. There is always a risk. So if you're young and you're not married, is it a risk to get married? Oh, yeah. I took, Susan took a risk marrying me. Did you? I took a risk marrying Susan. And now 40, almost, well, 42 and a half years into it, it's worth the risk. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, having babies is a risk. But now we look back on it, we have force like, mm, yeah, it's worth the risk. You mean having grandbabies? That's cream, that's the cream on top of the pudding right there. It's like, yeah, it's worth it. So again, you know, you get, or something happens and you're alone in life. Maybe there's a divorce or there's a death and you're alone. Is love worth the risk? Isn't that something? You know, you've been hurt, taken advantage of. Maybe you're young and hurt. Somebody's watching. You've been hurt. You're young. You've been taken advantage of. Y'all, it's, it's worth the risk to love. There's just nothing like love, is there? God is love. There's just nothing like it. And to know somebody loves you, pretty good. One of my, one of oh my niece, one of our nieces. We had whole. How many people were at our house Sunday? I didn't even count. You count? They're like fifteen or sixteen at least. You know, we had a little birthday thing, but um. One of the nieces, Susan's nieces, she hugged my leg. I'm big, tall, you know, she's short. So she hugs my knee. And so I'm thinking, you know, when she hugged me, I thought, no, it's just, it's good to be loved. It's just good. Right? So see, that's the way God thinks. So, So again, to belabor the point, love is worth the risk. It's always a risk. Take the ri- I'm saying this because I feel in my heart there's somebody you've been, been taken advantage of, been hurt by love. Sometimes love does hurt. It hurt God. He had to give his son away to get you back. It was worth the risk. Yeah? Woo! Man, you can get philosophical right there, can't you? Number two, second question. What do you think happened to the spirit? Oh, wow. Here we are. Yeah, okay, here we go. I, I, I said, t- told somebody this before service. I was in Chennai, India, having a pastor's conference. And all these pastors there, you know, during the day. And then we had question and answer time. Guess what the word, first question was? I mean, you think it'd be something, you know, about how to help people, how to get people saved, how to have a church service. No, here's the first question. And here it is here. What do you think happened to the spirits of the Nephilim? Nephilim. What in the world are the Nephilim? Could they possibly have become what we call demons today? Do y'all even know what the Nephilim are? Well, here's Genesis 6, verse 4. Quick answer. I don't want to spend much time on this. They were giants. Now, the word giants in Genesis 6, 4, what's this, is the word Nephilim. Everybody say Nephilim. Um. Sounds like you talk to somebody that's aggravated you, call them a Nephilim. I'm kidding. 
There were giants on earth in those days and also afterwards when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them. They, uh, those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. So uh, angels fell from their first estate, Second Peter 3, Jude, uh, the book of Jude, one chapter in Jude, also mentioned the fact that angels fell from their estate and they actually fell and cohabited with women. And their offspring were giants. And the giants here are the offspring of the cohabitation of angels with humans. That's what it says. Then the Lord saw the wickedness of man. And so it says they were mighty men of old, men of renown. I think I've mentioned this before, but, you know, they have found the uh, bones of giants anywhere from 8 feet, listen, to 35 feet tall. They found their bones all over the world. Every continent has these giant bones. So anyway, I got a lot to say, but I don't want to talk about it right now. Uh, anyway, um, there is a book entitled Giants, Fallen Angels, and the Return of the Nephilim by Thomas Horn. I, I've almost finished reading it. I got about 70% of the book read. It was interesting. And he goes into all the wherefores and what's about all that. And uh, so it says, The Lord was sorry he had made man on the earth and was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I'll destroy man who I've created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping things, birds of the air. For I'm sorry I've made them, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Why did, why, again, what's the reason for the flood of Noah? It's not just that men were sinners. It was the fact that the angels cohabited with human beings and tainted their DNA. And so, and so you got, you got, you know, human, human, you know, 1.0, then you got human 2.0, which is angels and humans. And, and God says, you know, there'll be no way to redeem these people. Now I'm getting into the weeds right now, but some Bible scholars think there's a gap. It's called the gap. It's a theory and, and, you know, you can't preach it as fact. Genesis 1-1, Genesis 1-2, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, that's in the beginning somewhere in the history past. Could have been a million years ago. You don't know. Ten million. You don't know. Uh, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Um, and uh, verse 2. What's verse 2 say? What does it say? And the earth was without form and void. The Hebrew says tohu Bohu, who that means it was desolate. That which had been got a catastrophe happened. So Bible scholars believe that something happened between Genesis one one, Genesis one two, and that was some form of civilization here prior to Adam. Genesis Finney's Dakin his annotated reference Bible called calls them pre Adam pre Adamites. He calls it the pre Adamite race. So I don't know. Could be it makes sense. Dinosaurs, all that. You know, got their got their take then, and and you know, then the bones you excavate uh, again uh, came from that era of time in the strata of the earth when you dig way down and stuff. So, you know, it makes a lot of sense. But anyway, the reason God and and some people postulate that the reason that God had to destroy that civilization is because uh, uh, that uh, what happened what happened in Noah's day with the angels and with humans uh, happened, and it and it and it consumed the whole race of whatever beings were here prior to us and God had to destroy the whole thing there was no redemption so 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 Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord it happened again in Genesis 6 but there was one family that wasn't tainted their DNA wasn't tainted it was Noah and Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord so you know built the ark and they were and, and they saved the whole human race and, and took one of each of the animals because these 
These angels also went into animals as well. It was a terrible thing. Does that make sense? It's a lot to think about, isn't it? It's the only reason I said that. Um, so could it be? Yeah, it could be. So, so demon spirits. People want to know what demon spirits are. Um, could, could be. So, so let me say about these uh, Nephilim. Uh, they have lots of different names in the Old Testament. In fact, the land of Canaan, when God told the Israelites to go and conquer the land of Canaan after they came out of Egypt, uh, he told them to kill all the inhabitants of the land. And here are the names of the people there. Listen to this. All of these were giants. All of these were tainted races. And you remember in Numbers 30, is it Numbers 33, right? Numbers 13. You remember Numbers 13, um, when, when the 12 spies went to spy out Canaan. And, and the, the giants were there. Well, here you go. So here are the names of them. So all through the Old Testament, when you came across these names, it's talking about these these Nephilim, these giants. But they're called all kind of different things. Kenites, Kenizzites, Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Rephaims, Amorites, Canaanites, Gergesites, Jebusites, Hivites, Anakims, Emims, Horims, Avims, Zamzumims, Kaphtorims, uh, and Nephilims. Woo! All of them are giants. And God said kill them all because they're tainted. And if you go messing with them, have children with them, you can't go to heaven. Now, here's the thing about these giants, and I didn't want to go too far, but I want you to hear it. Isaiah 26, 14 says, there is no resurrection for these dudes. None. Uh, Isaiah 26, 14, they are dead. They will not live. They are deceased. The word deceased there. Several times in the Old Testament, the word dead, the word deceased, is actually the word Nephilim. And that's what that word, if you go look it up in the Hebrew, that's, it, it's, that's what it says. They are Nephilim. They will not rise. Therefore, uh, you have punished and destroyed them, made them all their memory to perish. So, you know, there is the resurrection. I'm getting off into the weeds a little bit, but uh, Daniel 12, uh, John chapter 5, 25, 26, 27, Jesus talked about the resurrection of both the righteous and the unrighteous. Daniel said, Daniel 12, there'll be the resurrection of the just and unjust, the righteous, the unrighteous. Uh, you do realize that even people that don't know the Lord, when they die, one day their physical body will be resurrected. It'll be corruptible. It won't be a glorified body like we get at the rapture of the church. But their bodies, they're going to live for eternity in the lake of fire in a death-doomed body. What a horrible thing to think. Would you want the body you got now to resurrect? No, I want a new one. I want one that's better, right? Well, that's what the Bible says. But these Nephilim, they have no resurrection. Why? Because their DNA was tainted. And, and God won't let them into eternity. They don't get to resurrect. Now, and, I, and the reason I said all this is because I want to give, will you think about that? I want you to think about it. So the thing that's challenged me, Revelation 13, Revelation 14, Revelation 20 for sure. I think there's one more passage, uh, Revelation 20. All refer to the fact that those that take the mark of the beast cannot, their 666 thing, whatever it is, uh, cannot go to heaven. They will not be redeemed. They will not go to heaven. So, so here's a question. Could it be? And I've always wondered, wait a minute, God, you know, it's like, why would you relegate someone to eternal lake of fire because they got that mark? Okay, so, so if you study history of this, could it be that there's some contamination of the DNA of the human with that mark? And, and it's not human 1.0 or even 2.0. It's human 3.0. And God won't let that into heaven. 
because it's contaminated. You get it? It's contaminated DNA. So they're doing things right now, y'all, and you can go study it. I have looked at it. I've read articles about it. I've listened to videos. It's kind of scary. They're doing things right now uh, with human DNA. They're trying to add things to it. Could it be, and we haven't got a mark of the beast yet, but when, the, when we're in the time of the, of the uh, Antichrist and that mark that they talk about in the Bible comes, could it be that that, that mark itself taints humanity? And once you take it, you're not going to. I mean, I've, I've looked at the scriptures backwards, forwards, upside down, sideways, diagonally, and, and you, they're going to hell. You, you can't get out of it. Uh, there's, there's no exceptions. So could it be something like Nephilim? Does that make sense? So, Selah, just think about it. Just something to think about. I don't know about you. I'm going to walk with God, and I ain't putting nothing in me that's going to make me 3.0 human. You got it? So just think about that. Anyway, so the question was, I didn't answer the question. See, all that didn't answer the question. So could, could the spirits of these beings be, be, be demons? Now, I've cast demons out of people. It's a whole other subject. And they are real, and I have had them manifest um, in my presence. And, and they are snarly and weird and strange, and, but we do have authority over them. But see, uh, uh, the very uh, act of, uh, of, of demon spirits, and Jesus cast demons out of people. But see, a demon is, is some kind of a personality that wants to get into a human or get into an animal. Remember in Mark 5, the madman of Gadara? The de- devils came out of him, and, and, and they got, went into pigs, 2,000 pigs, and they you know, committed suicide, falling over the cliff. So demon spirits. In fact, you know, when people used to live close to the land, animals would go crazy. You have crazy animals. My daddy had a dog that went crazy before a Doberman pincher, and he had to shoot him. Before my daddy shot the dog, the dog bit him, and my daddy had to get 14 shots in his stomach because he became rabid. Well, could it be also with that rabidity? I'm not saying all all rabid animals are this way. Could it be demon spirits that gotten involved? So you can have a horse go mad. You can have, a, you can have a, a, a cow go mad. You can have a donkey. I've seen some pretty crazy animals in Ethiopia. I'm sure some of them were devil-possessed. <clears throat> anyway, the uh, point is demon spirits want entry into humans. Not fallen angels don't necessarily want to get into humans. But these de- So where did they come from? You don't know. So some people postulate that maybe it's the spirits of these of these creatures, whatever they were, these giants. Um, uh, you just don't know. So it's a great question for thought, but it, you know, at the end of the day, it's, you know, salvation is not going to hinge on it, whatever you think about it. Is that good? Question three, on the issue of parental authority, when do you think a child becomes of the age of accountability? And that's a really good question um, that, you know, you think you'd have a real solid answer to it. You can get a roundabout answer. Uh, the first thought I had about this question um, when does a child become of the age of accountability? So I think the background of that is, and I have the belief system that if a baby dies, and even though we're sinners, we're born into sin, Isaiah, I mean, Psalm 51, 5 says, all of sin falls short of God's standards, Romans 3, 23, yada, yada. Um, but if a baby dies, they go to heaven. How many believe that? Do I believe babies go to hell? No, not, not even one. I, I never believe that. I've done funerals for babies. I love those babies. I've done funerals for little two-year-old and three-year-olds and stuff and ten-year-olds. That's a terrible thing. But No, no, no. No, somehow I believe God's got grace that will cover them. Don't you? 
and that the sacrifice of Jesus will cover a personality that hasn't yet learned the difference between right and wrong, right? So, so perhaps when you come of age and you understand the difference between right and wrong and you choose the wrong instead of the right, that's when you become a cannibal. Uh, Romans 7, 9, this is King James, New King James Version says this, I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. When was he alive once without the law? Well, perhaps as a child. Makes sense, doesn't it? So, so here's another thought about that. So what age is that? I don't know that there's a particular age. I do have thoughts about it. Jewish, Jewish boys particularly uh, go through, now, even now, bar mitzvah. Now, they might not do it the Jewish way the Bible talks about, but in Jesus' day and prior, um, <clears throat> at age 12, a Jewish boy had to memorize, um, memorize the Pentateuch, first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It's called the Pentateuch. It's called the Torah. And, and generally, when the Bible talks about the law, it's talking about those first five books. You get it? And, and Jewish boys, listen, had to memorize every single word. Yeah, by, by the time they're age 12. Age 12, they get up and they recite Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and then they say, you a man, son. You're not a boy. You're a man. Come here. Give him a step. You're a man. You're a big dog. How many of your kids have done that? <laughs> Don't raise your hand. That's a pretty big deal, right? So, so for them, that was their age of accountability. So for us, we don't do that. So I've always said this when a child knows the difference between right and wrong and, and chooses the wrong and not the right, that they become accountable. They become accountable, and. And so that's when they need to come to Jesus and be born again. And, you know, the, the human heart is completely wicked. How many know that? I mean, I mean, you, you, think, you think devils are bad? Maybe humans are meaner. Because they'll take advantage of you. they eat your breakfast, your lunch, your dinner, take your house, take your car, steal your stuff. They'll just take everything you've got and then kill you. I mean, uh, humans are mean. And you know what I've been thinking about lately? We've got a whole, we got a whole culture right now. And it's mean. Have you noticed how mean people are getting? They're mean on the road. They're, they can be mean walking. Now, there's some really nice people too, don't get me wrong. But our nation's changing. Have you figured that out yet? Crime rate's increasing. Why? Because of the wickedness of the human heart. That's why we need to get people born again. So ask yourself, ask your children, ask your grandchildren, ask your friends, are you born again? Because without the new birth, you can't go to heaven, Right? Ooh, just something to think about. Uh, number four, would you give some practical ways to hear God's voice and know it's God? I've never said anybody say it this way. And know it's God and not odd. <laughs> so how do you know when you're hearing something is God and not just you, you, you know, whatever. So, so I do have some practical things to say about that. I've talked about this before, but Romans 8, 14 through 16 says this, for as many as are led or guided by the Spirit of God, these are the sons or literally mature sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage, bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Abba's in term of endearment. Uh, you know, my very own father. Oh, my father, my very own father. Now, verse 16, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So, 
so these verses, as many as are led or guided by the Spirit of God, they're the mature sons of God. So how can you be led by the Holy Spirit? Proverbs 20, 27 says this, the Spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord searching all the inner depths of his heart. So, you know, all of us need to learn for us what the voice of God is to us. And, you know, you've heard me say this before, but to be repetitious, which is one way to learn things, say it over and over. You know, when I first came to the Lord, my pastor said it. We had guest speakers say it. Then when I went to the Bible schools, I went to them. Well, God said, well, the Lord said, well, the Lord talked to me one day, and here I am, just an ignorant newbie. I didn't know anything about anything. It's like, what's he sound like? What's his voice? I need to hear that voice. And nobody would tell me. And finally, Kenneth Hagin one day when I was in Tulsa going to Bible school, and he said this, and it made sense to him. He said, nobody can tell you what the voice of God sounds like. And he said this, you've got to learn that for yourself. Then he said, it's really trial and error. You've got to figure it out yourself. It's very personal. And see, the way God speaks to me may not be exactly the way he speaks to you. He understands your thoughts. Psalm 139 says, afar off, right? So that means he understands the syntax of how you think, the word, you know, just how the words are arranged. He understands the colloquialisms that you use to talk to yourself because everybody's got self-talk. I hear Susan in the bedroom talking to herself. And then she hears me out up upstairs talking to myself, right? Do you, and you hear, you, you hear, you know, people, you know, you're tooling through life. You, well, there's self-talk. So he knows how you talk to you. And you've got a running language in your head at all times. Yes or no? So see, God knows that running language. Now, if you start answering yourself, you may have a problem here. You got some people that might can, I'm kidding. So anyway, you got to figure out how God speaks to you. I've had he use my colloquialism, some of my old South Carolina lingo stuff. And, but he knows how you, or sometimes he'll use one word because that word means something to you. For me, I love words. I love the etymology, the origin of words. And I've got books about that. So he knows I love words. So he'll just give me a word. And I'll say, what? And he won't even tell me what it means. Wait a minute. Because he knows me. And then sometimes he'll just speak a word. I know exactly what he's meaning. It's a word I understand and know. And, and he just does that. So you got to find out how God speaks to you. But here's what I suggest. Keep a journal. If you think God's saying something to you, write it down and see if it comes to pass. If it doesn't come to pass, it obviously wasn't God because he doesn't make mistakes. Right? So suck it up, buttercup. If it didn't come to pass, it ain't God. So I mean, you know. But see, don't tell everybody. Well, I believe the Lord said, well, don't say that if you don't know. And if you don't have the track record, write it down. And then if you look at it and say, well, I wasn't God. Shoot, I don't know what that was. That was wishful thinking. Well, just say, okay. Well, nobody knows it but you, right? So, well, it's not that. So what is the voice of God? So if you think the Lord spoke to you every time you think it, he does, write it down if it comes to pass. Well, maybe there's something to that, right? So you just got to figure it out for you. So um, I wrote this down, the voice of God in you, colon, now, here's what, we'll always agree with Scripture. Yes or no? It'll never violate the Bible, right? Uh, secondly, we'll always lead towards humility and not pride. It'll never puff you up. Uh, I wrote this in my notes. Uh, first Bible school, I think this was in 1977. There was this guy, he was a lot, I was like 19, um, yeah, 19 and 1977, and this guy, I mean, he had a family, he had kids, he came to our Bible school from another state, 
And this guy was probably in his upper 30s. You know, to me, he was an old guy because I'm a young guy. You know, yeah, he's young to me now. But uh, anyway, a guy, one of the Bible school students went up to him and said, here's what the Lord's saying to you. I hear God saying to you, you're going to be one of the greatest evangelists of all time. You never heard from the guy again. <laughs> that guy didn't hear God. He needed to shut up. <laughs> he didn't know God's voice. But see, we're in Bible school and we're learning. You got it? So, And the other thing was, see, God will lead you towards humility and not pride. He will never say something that's going to puff you up and make you look big. Because we're all to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. Yes or no? So you just got to figure the voice of God out with some of the simple things. And, and then anytime God speaks, it will always be from a foundation of love, not a critical attitude. You get it? God always errs on the side of love. Love believes the best of every person. Its hopes are fadeless, amplified, says, under all circumstances. And it endures everything without weakening. Is that true? Well, that's God. God is love. So you just think about that. Always agrees with Scripture, leads towards humility and not pride, uh, and then always comes from uh, a foundation of love. So, and then uh, you've got to learn to separate intuition, um, conscience, intuition from mind, thought, reasoning. So, so these three go together: mind, thoughts, reasoning. Okay, see that that comes from your soul, from your brain, from your mind. Okay, and then you got intuition, conscience. That's from a different part of us. So, you know, if you haven't studied spirit, soul, and body a lot, I would encourage that. When I was young in the Lord, I just devoured anything. Talk about, you know, 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, the very God of peace set you apart in time. There's a lot of teaching back in the 70s about that. Not so much today, but it was back then. And I would, I just, I said, I just want to know this so bad because I wanted to know what was God, what was the devil, and what was me. And so spirit, soul, and body, very God of peace, set you apart entirely, 1 Thessalonians 5, 23. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Spirit is conscience, intuition. It's the voice. The voice of the soul is mind, uh, mentality, thinking, critical thinking, reasoning. Reasoning is part of the soul because it has to do with thoughts, right? So, so. You know, uh, critical thinking, you could say. Um, and then emotion. Uh, the word emote means to move. And emotions are thoughts that move you, right? And, and then emotions go hand in hand with thoughts. If you're feeling something, if you're healthy, you're thinking something. Now, somebody's, you know, chemical imbalance, have a chemical imbalance and things in the physical brain aren't working properly and you can feel certain ways. Okay, uh, but if you but if everything's working like it should, normal emotions come from thinking. So so if you have an emotion of melancholia constantly, you're down a lot. What are you thinking about a lot, right? Or everybody gets up one day and it's like, I don't want to be around anybody today. You know, you just kind of in a in a dump. And uh, so what is that? Probably somebody said something. Probably something happened. There was an occurrence that's on your mind, and it emotes you. It emotions you. So again, mind, emotions, and then volition. The power of choice is not in your spirit, or you'd always make the right choices. Power of choice is in your, in your soul. And the soul is the intermediary between spirit and body. So sometimes the soul 
will obey the spirit. Sometimes your soul will obey your flesh. Yes or no? So the soul, the, so, so, so volition is of the soul. You got to figure all that out, separate it all. Then you got to ask yourself, um, do your thoughts, when you have a thought come in your mind, and I've, I mean, y'all, I mean, I've spent a lot of time, particularly when I was young, just thinking about this a lot, and then I finally, finally, finally figured it out. When a thought comes, and, and you got to be quiet to do this, and this is where we're the poorest now because we're not quiet. We constantly have something jabbering in our ears. Sometimes cut the stuff off and just be quiet. Driving down the road, I mean, I don't know why recently, you know, I listen to music or listen to the world. I just want to be quiet. Like Susan and I went somewhere to eat last night. So like I was listening to music, I thought, let's turn that off. It was just good to be quiet. So, so if you'll learn to be quiet, you can figure out thoughts are floating from somewhere. And sometimes thoughts float up from inside. That could be, that could be the Holy Spirit or it could be your human spirit. And you got to learn the difference. Intuition, an inner consciousness, an inner knowing. It could be your human spirit, or it's a little more authoritative. It could be the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? I don't know how to tell you to figure that out, except you just got to work on it. And if you just keep working on it, you'll get it figured out eventually. It may take some time. And then you have thoughts that originate in your mind, your own thoughts by interaction with our environment, with people, with things, and you know all the things you listen to and such. Uh, thoughts are created from living. So sometimes what is the origin of thoughts? It's us. It's just things we've interacted. Dreams many times are, are a hodgepodge of things, happenings throughout that previous day or week or whatever period of time. And, you know, generally they're innocuous. Sometimes dreams can be from the Lord. Um, but anyway, thoughts come from yourself. Then thoughts can come from without from other people. But then even demonic spirits can interject thoughts. So, so for instance, um, gosh, is this making sense? So you can, um, you ever walked in a room and feel something? It's like, hmm, something right here. What am I feeling? You know what I'm talking about? Where's that coming from? You feel tension. Or, or you walk in a room, it's like, this is the most peaceful place I've ever been in my life. What is here? What is here, right? So, 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 so you're a very perceptive person. You can pick up on things. So, see, demon spirits, they can influence from without. You can pick up if somebody's having a bad day. Can you? See how intuitive you are? Some of that's here in the soul, and then your spirit person can pick things up from others, right? It's a different, this is different it's a different thing to talk about. See, see, all of that's mixed up in how to hear the voice of God. So you got to figure out, am I picking this up from somebody else? Or is it a demonic force? Here's what I figure out. Anything that's accusatory, how do you know? Who do you think you are? Questioning, constant question. Well, you know, almost a... a you know, a, just a, a sly questioning, demonic spirits, right? I figured it out. Uh, question, you question yourself, you question others, you question your value. God's not going to question your value. He loves you. And he'll challenge what you're doing if it's going to hurt you. Yes or no? But devils, they will accuse you 
them remind you of your past, remind you of what you're not, remind you of your weaknesses, not your strengths. So, you know, and, and, and so then in, in the, all the mix of that, there's the voice of God. And you've got to learn to differentiate. It's a fairly complex subject. Just saying all I just said, that's a lot to weed through, isn't it? So it just takes time. But if you'll work on it, if you'll work on it. Say, I've worked on it for me. You know, I didn't even work on it because God called me to preach. I worked on it because I just need to know. I don't want to be deceived. I don't want to be fooled. And I don't want to get to the end of life thinking, well, I sure wish I knew the voice of God. If I don't know it by now and it's been 40-something years, that's a problem. You get it? So, so I got this figured out here. Now, you know, it took me, I'm just thinking back, 70s, 80s. It took me a few years when I first came to the Lord to really figure out. The, but, but I worked on it. Some people never even think about what I'm saying. You hear what I'm saying? Not now. There's too much going on. There's too much, uh, too much noise pollution. <laughs> You've got to get quiet. Here's what I have found out. When the Lord speaks to me, it's not emotional. It sometimes produces emotions. But when God speaks to me, whatever he said, I can have a lousy feeling day and that is still there. Like, like when, when I knew it was right for us to build this building and it looked crazy to start. See, they, see that was inside me for a long time. And, and it's been four years now. Have I had some days like, what are you doing, boy? <laughs> this don't feel, this is awful, this is hard. Well, you know what? But inside me, I know I'm doing the right thing. Does that make sense? So knowing the voice of God is really important. You just got to work on it. Learn to get quiet. Number five, as Christians, we judge everything according to God's word, beliefs, laws, actions, etc. But so many these days have no use for the Bible, don't care what it says, don't understand why we even refer to it. So the question is, how do we witness to those whose value system is uh, at complete odds with ours? And that's a valid question because... You know, there's very, only like, you know, I think it's only, of Christians, only like 6 or 7% have a Christian worldview. Did you know that? That's, that's pitiful. That's pitiful. So, uh, again, how do you witness to people? You know, people that don't know the Lord. They don't have Christian values. Now, we're not a Christian. You know, we have, you know, Judeo-Christian ethic in our background. But right now we live in it. Oh, decidedly not. First Peter 3.15 has the answer, but set sanctifier set the lord apart in your hearts always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that's in you with meekness and fear so when somebody sees something in you say why are you doing that why are you thinking just say well uh, i believe in jesus i believe the bible is the word of god because of that i made a decision to do this i've made a decision to love my wife I, I made a decision not to look at that woman over there or that man over there if you're a woman. I decided to, uh, I decided to discipline my children because of what the Bible says. I, I decided to teach them the value of parental authority because that's what the Bible tells me to do in Ephesians 6, 1 through 3. And I might mention the verse to them, not quote them the Elizabethan way, but just say this is what the Bible says. And, you know, that's just how I live and say, really, you live by the Bible? Well, I do. I believe the Bible is the word of God. And, and then I prove it out in my life that it just works. And then 1 John 1, 3 says this, that which we have seen and we have heard, we declare to you that you may have fellowship with us. So, so what have you seen? What have you heard? What have you experienced about the Lord? That's what you share with others. 
I, you can say, well, I don't know how you do it. Here's what I do with life, and this has worked for me. I was this, and now I'm this. I did that, but now I do this. I was talking that way, now I talk this way. I was treating my wife that way, but now I treat her that way. I was acting this way, but now I'm acting that way. And something happened, his name is Jesus, and he loves you. Whew. Anyway, I can preach on that one. Uh, number six, many have relied on Romans eight twenty eight. Everybody Okay. It's 8.06, I'm watching the time. Many have relied on Romans 8.28 as well as other reassuring verses. No, here's the skinny here. Uh, for years, as they trust God to take care of them, I'm finite and can't possibly know everything I need to pray about like he does. How many would agree with all of that? Yeah. Uh, when you say that verse has, now here's what I said also, that verse has been taken out of context unless I pray. <laughs> does that mean any future my, uh, does that mean any future, my protection and that in the future, my protection and provision are now up to me rather than God? Woo-hoo. Uh, that if I don't pray, he won't help me? Whoa. Or if I don't pray over a certain area, he won't or can't protect me in that area? That's pretty scary. You're right. That's right. Scary. So, you know, the truth is somewhere in the middle. A lot of people have reneged on all responsibility and it's all in God's lap. Others are so OC, obsessive and compulsive, they got to dot every I, cross every T and check it six times. So, so God never intended or expected, nor did I preaching that on Sundays that, oh Lord, did I pray over my kids? Oh Jesus, 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 Jesus. Did I pray over this? Did I do that? Did I, you know, if you're praying and committing your life to God, how many know you're coming under his umbrella of care and you're giving him permission? Now, I pray every day because the devil, you know, uh, you got, y'all watch Looney Tunes cartoons? No, used to? So see, I, you know, Wiley E. Coyote. I mean, he's always after the roadrunner. That was his name, Wiley E. So I named the devil after Wiley E. Coyote because that's what the devil's like. He's walking about as a, as a you know, coyote seeking, who, seeking a roadrunner to devour. So, oh, let me see. Oh, yeah, there you go. That's him right there. So, you know, so, so Wiley E. Devil, Wiley E. Devil's always messing around trying to, you know, mess up, mess me up, mess my family up, mess my life up. So, so I just want to, you know, head him off at the pass every day, right? So he's got a job to do. I got a job to do. I've got responsibility. He's going to do what he does. So I'm going to make sure that, that he tries to cross my path. He gets both eyes bloodied and his nose is bloodied. He gets his jaw uh, slapped sideways. And he ain't messing with me. He's going to get a good dose of the word of God. Because that's what Jesus said. It's written. It's written. So every day when I get up, here's what I pray. Father, in my life today, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Let all of your purposes for my life come to pass physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, in every way. In Jesus' name. That encompasses my wife, my family, my dog, my frog, my cat, my fish. Take care of me, Lord. I just say, God, take care of me. See, for me, I cast all my cares on him. He cares, right? So, you know, so if you're doing, and, and then beyond that, I pray in the spirit a lot. Praying in the spirits, praying in other tongues. When you do that, you're praying the perfect will of God for your life. 
I pray usually at least an hour a day that way. And that way you're covering everything in prayer. I tell you, it's an amazing way to pray. You pray about things you had no idea were coming down the pike of life for you. And it's just a really effective thing. So, you know, we have responsibility. The Lord's got responsibility. So, you know, we just got to be aware of that. I've got all kinds of scriptures I should share. How many understand that? Uh, you know, James 4, um, 3, uh, when you ask, you don't have what you ask, verse 2 says, uh, because you don't ask God for it. You don't have what you want because you don't ask. You have not because you ask not, King James says. And then you ask and receive not because you ask all wrong. So, you know, uh, bottom line is we do need to ask. If we didn't need to ask, then we don't need to pray at all. God just does the whole thing, and he's in charge of everything in case sera, sera. That's the way most of the world lives, and that's the reason you have some really bad things at times that happen to really good people. So I'm not going to trust you with my whole prayer life. And you shouldn't trust me with your whole, well, pastor's praying for me. I got this today. Well, well. That might be true, but you ought to be doing your own praying. Well, there's somebody in the world God can, God can have pray for me, but what if they got tired? What if they got a belly ache and they're throwing up and they can't pray? And then your ship is sunk right then. What you gonna do? You see what I'm saying? So, so have, develop your own prayer life. We're responsible. I got a lot to say about that, but I have limited time. Number six, here's the last one. I want to have a pure heart so I can see God. How can I ever get a pure heart? Well, you know, the really amazing news is you got one. If you're born again, you got a pure heart. Well, I know a lot of Christians that ain't pure. I said, if you're born again, you got a pure heart. I know, but I know a lot of Christians do things they shouldn't. I said, if you're born again, you got a pure heart. God took the worm outside, out of your apple core. And you're all cleaned up inside. Yes or no? See, that's the vantage point you have to think of as a believer. The thing that got me out of the dirt and out of the mess when I was a young guy, all twisted and gnarled up with sin. When I came to Jesus, I found out, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, I become a new creature in Christ Jesus. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And I got up every morning and said, Lord, I even said it this morning. Lord, I want to thank you. I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm new inside. The new me's inside. The new me's taken over. Isn't that great? And then the prophet Ezekiel said, am I right? Wait a minute. Yeah, Ezekiel 36, I give you a new heart, put a new spirit within you. I'll take a heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. <laughs> what does that mean? Inside me is the nature of God. Inside you is the Holy Spirit if you're born again. Inside of you is God's life and nature. Jesus said, I am come that you might have life. The Greek word is zoe, Z-O-E. It's pronounced Z-O-A. Zoe. You have life in the absolute sense. You have God's life and nature. You've got love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and faithfulness and meekness and self-control inside you. Just got to let it out by renewing your mind. So, <laughs> you know, when you think about life that way, see, I have a pure heart. I just got to get my mind to agree with my heart. I got to get my mind renewed. And that's what Paul told us we got to do. Besides that, Jesus said, John 17, 17, set them apart, sanctify them through your truth. Your word is true. more I get the word in me, the better I'm going to live. The more my inside shines outside if I'll get the word in me and clean up my head. Psalm 119, 9 through 11, I'm done. How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according 
to your word. Now, what we're talking about is, everybody say sanctification. There are three levels of sanctification in Scripture. Number one, where we are we are positionally sanctified in God. That is, we become new creatures in Christ Jesus. Sin nature is removed from us. Our position before God in Christ is we're a new creature. Yes or no? That's your position. And then there's daily washing, daily sanctification, or progressive. That is, you're getting a little bit, little bit by little bit. You're changing from, from as, um, as one of my Asian friends said, from glory to glory. From glory to glory, right? Thank you, brother. Yeah, that's right. Shut me up. That's what I need to do. And then there's final sanctification. When you get your glorified body, woo, you'll know even as you're known, and you'll be pure just like he is pure. Isn't that good news? So uh, anyway, until then, we're in process, but my heart's clean. If you think about the fact that God has cleansed your heart, it helps you a lot overcome your past. If you think you're just a bad person, you'll still do bad stuff. But if you know inside of you, it's his nature. That's why God, you know, he lifted us up. Jesus came to lift us up. 